to the Sick and Successful Podcast. If you're a business owner, work in corporate, or have a side hustle you're passionate about, you're going to want to stick around because I promise to ask the tough questions and talk about the things others shy away from. You know, what it's really like to own a business and be chronically ill. I'm going to give you that push you need towards following your dreams and be the friend you come back to week after week to talk about the real things in life and in business. If you have goals and are working towards them, if you're determined to be successful, no matter what life's obstacles get in the way, this podcast is for you. Dream big and tune in. Welcome back to the Sick and Successful Podcast. This is your host, Natalie Supes. I have an exciting guest to bring to you today. We met in the group called We Should All Be Millionaires. Her name is Kira Jones, and she's a sales messaging and mindset coach and a speaker. Since 2016, she's been all about helping up-leveling, impacting, and driving women entrepreneurs to tap into the power, into their power, their voice, their value, and their visibility with messaging that positions their real impact and commands what they really want to be charging. Before 2016, Kiera leveraged her passion for sales and training to support five to seven figure clients in corporate sales consulting with a Fortune 500 company where she was personally responsible for double digit growth of 5 million of business. Welcome, Kiera. Yay. Thank you. Awesome intro. I'm like, who's that? Is that me? <laughs> Everybody says that. And it's funny because most of the time you submit your intro. I mean, you did, but <laughs> I love it. You know, I think it's one of those things where like Read uh, it, but, reminding yeah. yourself of what you've done or or whatever. I was doing a podcast interview a couple of weeks ago and somebody asked me a question and I was, you know, telling them about this moment I had in the mirror when I knew like I needed to figure out like my entrepreneur journey. And that was in 2014. And I was like, and I paused. I was like, oh my gosh, wait, that was in 2014. I was like, wait, that was 10 years ago. Like literally you could see my mind moving in yeah, the moment totally. of like, that was 10 years ago. So sometimes it's, it's like, you don't think about it every single day. So, so it's, it's like, still you have oh, to yeah. write that intro down or you're writing something and you're like, wow, it's been a while. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, cool. so. so let's get, let's start with that actually. So you've been yeah. an entrepreneur for 10 years now. Did you leave corporate 10 years ago? So 10 years ago is when I had my moment in the mirror is what I call it. I was in corporate doing well, um, you know, in my corporate job, I actually had just transitioned into a new role with that company. And I kind of took a demotion. Sometimes those women do that because yeah. I was like really desperate to get back to the East Coast because I was in the Midwest for that role physically. And I'm from New Jersey and I was like, I need to get back to the East Coast. I'll take whatever. And so it's like, yeah, yeah, I don't need a ladder. I don't need a upgrade, a, what is it, promotion. I'll just, I'll just go. And so within a couple of months, my team's largest client was like, she is the best sales consultant that we've had. She, the way that she does her sales trainings and, you know, gets with our team, which were full of a bunch of old white men. It just, just to be yep. frank, um, is like really awesome. And so I'm this young girl, only black person on my team. I believe at the time I was the only woman on my team at that time. And so, you know, they said amazing things about me. And so they didn't even just tell my manager, they told my manager's manager's manager. And so, you know, I went to HR like in my manager, like, hey, I mean, I know I like didn't accept a promotion to do this, but here's what they're here's what they're saying. And here's on paper the results. And it was like, yes, you're doing awesome. Keep going for 12 more months until we have your review, because I had just moved maybe right. maybe like two months, three months, something like that. So I was like, oh, I have to wait. But I don't but you don't have to wait for me to show up and perform and to do the thing. And so that was my moment in the mirror. I remember coming home. I had like a black shirt on. 
I remember mascara running, crying, probably a little bit of snot. And I was in the mirror and I was like, where did I lose parts of myself? Like mm. for me, I was raised by a single mother, low income housing. My brother had a sickness, so he would be in the hospital every two weeks. And so I would go to my grandparents' house. So I became this very independent young child. And I always was like trying to figure stuff out. And so where did that like hustler in me go that I would dare let somebody else tell me you need to wait for another day, another month, another six months or whatever the time is, even though you're performing well, like I was always just like, I'm going to figure it out. I got, you know, I got a full ride scholarship because I figured it out. They had been done with the scholarships. And I basically went up to the director like I need to be in the scholarship program. I didn't know about it. I literally had Skittles in my mouth. And the director was like, girl, calm down, we're done. And I was like, no, no, no. And I'm literally selling myself like, no, this is why I need to be in this program. And long story short, she was like, you need to give my assistant a call on Monday. Called them, they did a phone interview with me. She was like, you are the last person we're letting into this scholarship. And I got that full ride into college. So that's me. So it's like, who are you to like, somebody told you you have to wait for 10 months, 12 months, whatever it is. Why are you waiting? And so that was 10 years ago, the moment of me saying like in the mirror, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I need to figure something out. And so that was 2014. And then fast forward a couple months, I started an online accessory boutique. And that's what introduced me to the online world. I love jewelry. I'm a curvy girl. And when I couldn't find clothes that would fit my body, I would always use accessories to, you know, kind of amp them up, like take something from a basic look to like my look. And so I started an online accessories boutique because I still like steak and sushi and traveling. So I wasn't ready to leave my job yet and the money. Um, And so I had my online boutique. So 2014 moment in the mirror, 2015 started the boutique. Immediately when I started the boutique, I hired a coach and I was like, this is coaching. And I was like, I do this from like a consulting standpoint in my day job, but I love this way more. And my coach was like, no, focus, because sometimes when you're a newbie, you try Mm -hmm. to do a lot of things. She's like, no, focus on this business you just started. And I said, "Okay." And that was 2015, but it never left my heart. My target audience for that boutique was entrepreneurs anyway. And so I was always giving them sales and content feedback and like just randomly for free. And they would come and say, here, I did the thing you told me to do. And like it worked. I, I know your jewelry is cute, but you should actually like go into this. I'm like, no, I do this for my day job. So I couldn't connect the dots and like, oh, I could like start a business from this. And so finally, 2015, after some life coaching and mindset coaching for myself, I said, okay, I'm going to do this. So we added coaching in 2016 and I went full time in 2016. So from 2014 to 2016, got coaching, started the two businesses, finally gave myself permission to know like you can do coaching. And then October of 2016, I went full time in my business. I've been officially full time as of today, eight years, but 10 years ago was that moment in the mirror for me. It's interesting how corporate can take that like hustler out of you because Mm -hmm. it's like, you think that's what you're doing the right thing, right? When you're hustling, you get that corporate job, you climb that ladder, you get the promotions. But it's the same thing for me when I look back. And actually, when I look back at some of those reviews that I've found over the years where they're like, Natalie works too hard. She goes above and beyond and her team can't catch up. She needs to slow down. And like, I read that and I'm like, that makes no sense. Like what is going on? But it's so cool that you were able to like two years isn't very long for some people when they they realize they want to leave corporate or or their day job and start something. So what was it or how did you did you have some kind of safety net or something that like helped propel you out of that? Yeah. um, Safety net, I guess, of the corporate paycheck. Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, I feel like as practical women, we do have this element of like, I do have to have something, at least for me and where I was at that moment. 
And so I did, I, you know, had a savings account. I knew that I would be okay for, I forget the number of months. It was somewhere between like four to six months. I knew I had enough in my savings account for that, right? So I did have that, but I will say it's interesting because I remember, I'm trying to think of my time. I'm trying to go back, right? Back to 2016. I had a mindset coach and I remember talking to her and saying like, okay, I want to leave within two years. This is in 2016. I want to leave within two years. And somehow over like three weeks, it went from, I want to leave in two years. And I remember her having me do this. I wanted to save up $10,000. And so I was like, okay, $10,000 would be enough for like at least three months, you know, three to four months. And so that's cool. And I can just save 500 a month over two years. And I'll get to almost about, you know, whatever, you know, that amount is going to, or over the next year. But I still set two years just to give myself a little bit like safety net. And so I remember it being two years when I talked to her, Penny. Then somehow in our next session, it became nine months because she challenged me and said, Kira, do you need two years to save up $10,000? And it's like, the number's not numbering. So I was like, okay, I could save $10,000 in the next nine months. I, I could, cause I already have, you know, a thousand. So I would just save a thousand each month. And I had the disposable income. And so it became nine months. Literally, Natalie, the next session or two, somewhere along the lines became two months. And it's amazing how when you throw a number out, because I never really sat down and said, well, how much do I need? And her forcing me to look at the numbers, to get a real number and not just have some vague idea really helped me. And then challenging me again, like, well, do you need the amount of time you gave yourself? And yeah, I put that number out there and I actually was able to get that money in. So I had 10,000 in the bank and I wanted another 10,000 because that 10,000 in the bank in my brain, it was like, that's my safety. This one is like my paying myself in case I don't make any money. So I wanted them separate, but that other 10,000 ended up coming in and it was like, oh, so I could do this in two months and everything just aligned and made it so that that is what it was. And so that was the money part of it. What I will say as far as a safety net, I forget who talked to me about this, but just this idea that there's always going to be a job. Mm-hmm. There is all, there's one of us, but there are millions of jobs, no matter where the economy is, no matter where the world is, like there is a job. Now, is it a job you all the way want? Maybe, maybe not, I don't know. But when we get to the core mm-hmm. of, will there always be a job? There will. And so there was that level of a safety net too, but maybe those listening, like just inviting you to think about your perspective on what is a safety net really? And then even like, well, why do I need a safety net, right? there, I have a degree, a good employee, I could figure it out, we'll be okay. And if this doesn't work, I can always go back to this role or something similar. And it's very similar. It's interesting how the universe kind of provides or God provides whatever you believe, right? When you believe in yourself, when you're like, no, I'm doing this and everything just aligns. Cause I think I had the same two years and then it ended up being, oh. I, I never went back from maternity leave, um, but I kept pushing my start date. Like I pushed it a couple of months and then I pushed it a couple of <laughs> years, like, and I just kept pushing it till finally I didn't go back. But the safety net for me was I got a position, a contracting position at a university teaching. And so I could take courses or I could not take courses. But if like, you know, in my mind, if it got so bad and I couldn't pay my mortgage, I could just take a course. Yep. So like that, it helps, I think, to start the business when you know, like, it, you're not selling from like a, a desperation kind of set mindset. And I think that's like something you have to keep in mind all throughout business because business is such like 
feast or famine, ebb and flow, being an entrepreneur. And if you forget that, that like you can't sell from desperation and from need and like it just doesn't work. You have to have that abundant mindset. It helps. It helps to start the business. Yeah. That's a good, you know, we know that, but being able to have the reminder of that and like point that out for those listening, I totally agree. And I would even take that. That's not just when you start your business. No, it's like the whole time. It's it. Yeah. Like being eight years in, you know, there are times where you're going to have a slow period. And it's not just I feel like we just think about slow from a like the clients aren't coming in the payments. There is also an energetic slowness as well. Like yesterday now, actually. (laughs) And I have been in it at least two times in my business. I actually um, in 2019, I went through a big one. I was like, but it was my first time. So from Mm -hmm. 2016 to 2019, I was just go, 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 go. And in 2019, I was so burnt out. And I was like, what is this? And I actually don't remember any of my coaches warning me about this. So I was like, I don't know what this is. And it was like, I was so worried because I was like, there's something deeply wrong with me. And it was like, here, you're literally, and now I call it for my clients. Oh, you're in your realign to shine season. You have to sometimes pause, go into realignment. What is it that you're needing to pivot? What is needing to change? Where do you just need to rest? Where do you need to go within whatever that looks like, but you're in a realignment period. Make changes in your business and your services and your employees and your contractors and your, yeah. Yeah. So just realign, give yourself permission to pivot, realign with it, and then when you feel ready, right, go. Now, I always say, like, don't feel ready and then still wait. You have Once right. you feel ready or you have what you need to take the next step, go ahead and take it because that step is going to lead you to some information that will take you to the next thing. But okay. when we talk about safety net, I feel like it wasn't until I would say probably like 2020, 2021 in my business where I took that concept of how we're saying safety net from a corporate job to entrepreneurship. Yeah. You also want to have a safety net in entrepreneurship, too. So I remember at one point, because that original 20000 that I had in the bank totally was gone. Like, it was, it was totally gone. And so I remember, like, month to month with my coaching business, I was either, like, investing in coaching or paying my team or needing to just pay myself for, like, things I needed to live off of. And I also was splurging on stuff, right, that, yeah. what, you know, those are gifts I wanted to give myself. I had to remember, you still need to have a safety net. There's still a retirement mm-hmm. you need to prepare for. So. For those slow seasons, whether it is from a client perspective, but also being prepared for like your energy. Like yesterday, I was like, I am taking the rest of the day off. And my team member, which we're so in sync, she actually, one of them, she was having, actually two of them was having something going on as well. Um, And so I'm like, I don't know. And then a friend of mine messaged me this morning. So I'm like, I don't know what's what's going on in this particular 24 hours. But I said to uh, my mindset membership, I believe in being really transparent with them and letting them know, like giving them behind the scenes mindset stuff I'm going through. So I sent them a telegram and I was like, listen, I'm taking the rest of the day off and here's what I'm experiencing. And I said, so I know the answer is I need to get away from the electronic box and I need to go be present in life. And that's what I did. Ended up feeling so much better. And it you have to prepare yourself for those. So the safety net is the financial, but it's also like be prepared for like, oh, I want to take a week off or I want to take a day off or whatever. Or I don't even want to do this anymore because you're you're going to get in that mindset, mm-hmm. right? Like it, it's hard. That's why not a lot of people are successful with entrepreneurship because mm-hmm. like, I'm not going to lie. There's so many times that I want to give up because it just gets so overwhelming and tough. But then the opposite side is the highs are so high, the lows are so low. So yeah. being like having those tools in your toolbox to like know which tool to take out. I did the same thing yesterday. I had two meetings or three meetings, one canceled. And I was going to, I'm working on writing a book right now. I had all this stuff I needed to do around the house. Like we've been sick for a really long time. So a lot of to do is come on your list when you've been sick. 
And I was like, no, I'm napping until my next meeting for the next two hours. Like I don't have it in me to do any of this stuff. No follow-ups, no outreach, nothing. Like I'm napping. Yeah. (laughs) And sometimes you you just have to. You have to, and speaking of the title, right? Sick and successful, right? It's depending on, you know, different things that you are experiencing anyone is going to have days where we are sick. We're literally in a season, right? The time of year, at least for me, I live in upstate New York. So there's so many different things going on. So obviously there's levels, right? Of what you might be experiencing in your sickness versus someone else. But just being in this space where we are not judging ourselves for those moments that we need to take. And I would even say like, so I have some clients who have different illnesses and conditions and things like that. And so we have to be really mindful of from a visibility standpoint and like how they show up be prepared for like, hey, Kier, I'm having a flare up. Like this yep. is what's this is what's going on. Just putting some things into place to kind of support you and help you during those slow periods, whether they're automations or you're batching when you are feeling good or whatever that might look like. Or also just, you know, being really transparent with your clients too and letting them know. Like I had one client where sometimes she would need to like cancel calls and that did not feel good for her at all. And so it might be like, okay, I need to kind of restructure my offer. Let's not have an offer where you need to meet with people every single week because we know exactly that that's not realistic for you. But yep. maybe it's once a month yep. or maybe it's like you use a little bit more Voxer support, you know, especially for some of my clients who like when they become new moms or again, when they have like certain mm-hmm. flare ups and stuff. So, you know, I think one is like, give yourself permission that you are still human and you have certain things going on, especially us as women. Like sometimes when I'm on my period, I just don't want to. Right. So give yourself permission, but also like proactively plan as much as you can, yeah. right? There's going to be things you can't plan for, but just be mindful. And I think that we have judgment around like everyone else has a program where they meet every week and they do this. Okay. But you're not everyone else. And it's okay if your program is structured like this so that it aligns with your lifestyle and your condition, but also allows you to be purposeful and still be successful too. Exactly. Exactly. I resonate with that so much. You mentioned that your brother was really sick when you were younger and in and out of the hospital. I don't think we've had a guest on before who wasn't sick, but their, their sibling was. And I think that I know my mom went through that and her sister was in and out, like always just constantly sick. And that affected her a lot in like the way that she shows love and the way that she is in general. But I'd love to know, like, when now looking back, how that affected you and like some of the big things that you've taken away from it. Yeah, it's so well, thank you for asking. And, you know, it's so interesting. There's so many layers. Uh, I am someone who's a big advocate of therapy. Um, I've been with my current therapist, I feel like three or four years. And so I really believe in it. And thank goodness, thank God for, for, for therapy. So some of the things that have been really interesting, actually lately, as my partner and I talk about like expanding our family and things like that. So a lot is coming up for me around motherhood. And so there's two layers. There's the experience of I'm the child who isn't sick and I'm feeling guilty, that, especially because I'm the old, we're five years apart and I'm older. And so there's this level of like, well, why was it him and not me? Should Are you I okay feel to guilty? share what he had? Yeah, I'm happy to share. So he has sickle cell, which is, you know, a lifelong illness. It's more popular in the African-American community. I'm sure if you're you're too familiar. No, I've never um, heard of it. Or I'm, okay, I might have yeah. heard of it, but I just don't recall. Yeah. So I am not a medical professional and I am not always the best at explaining, but feel free to do your research. Sickle cell, S-I-C-K-L-E, a sickle cell. Um, now I have the trait of it. So I don't think I've ever shared this on a podcast, but I don't think my honey would mind. So I have the trait of it and my partner actually has the trait of it as well. So we carry the trait, but we do not have the disease. We're anemic, but we don't carry the full, the full disease. 
But when him and I have a child, it doubles the chances of our child having mm -hmm. the disease. And so this is actually why um, this is me first publicly saying this. Um, <laughs> this is actually why for us, we look more into adoption and foster care. Um, and so that's the journey that we are actually on. Awesome. And thank you. And for me, I had my brother firsthand that I experienced this with. His uh, sister's first child also had the disease. So we both mm -hmm. have a direct first account of this. It's with our, you know, your blood cells versus your white cells. And the way that their cells happen, the way that I understand it is that they kind of clog up. I'm just giving like a fifth grade yeah, yeah. visual. They kind of clog up the way that ours just flow. There's like clog and they're circular like a banana instead of like a circle, like an orange. So they become a banana and then they clog up and then like they literally will have instant flare ups <clears throat> in pain in that space. And so that's not the best scenario. But again, fifth grade, fifth grade visual for you. They oftentimes need to get blood transfusions because they need the blood to like flow. And it's mm -hmm. not because they're all just clogging my whole life. And even to this day, right, he's 20 don't ask me. I think he's 28, something like that. We will do vacations. And I can remember my aunt's wedding when I was, I think I was 11 and my mother will pay for stuff. And she always has to get insurance because the flare-ups are just random. And so, especially when the seasons change, it's really, really bad. When we moved from New Jersey to Virginia down South, the weather got better. So that did help my brother a lot having warmer weather, but the seasons changing can really flare it up. And then even like car rides, like certain road trips, he can't do where he needs to let have the whole back seat so that he can lay down. And so anyway, I can remember when I was 11 years old, we had a wedding to go to in Florida. So we you know, rented a van, my whole family was going. And literally the day before my my mother had to send me with my grandparents because my brother was admitted to the hospital. And so what I will say, you know, there's different things that you can do. So my brother, my mother met a woman who also has a disease who is her age, like 50 now. But back then, you know, she was an adult living with it. And so she wanted to understand, like, how can I help him with this? Because her name is Tara. She didn't get in the hospital a lot. So they started going the more natural route. My brother does herbs and he has an herbalist and he has went the natural route with it. And so he actually, to go from a space of him being in the hospital every like two weeks, literally me being at my grandparents' house and my grandmother having to take me to school to literally like, I can count on my hand how many times he's been admitted into the hospital in the last five years. So that truly has helped him. And that's a whole nother conversation yeah, for the health sure. field because, you know, it's expensive. And my mother was a single mom and his father wouldn't understand why can't you just do the medicines that, mm -hmm. the, that the insurance will pay for? Why do we have to spend hundreds a month on this? And we're trying to explain it to him. But it's literally like, dude, don't you see? He literally doesn't get admitted into the hospital as much. So feel free to do your research on that. But the point for me is having to experience there was so much uncertainty, right? Like, OK, we're going to Florida. Oh, we can't go. So thank God there was other family members that could take me. But I feel like that was a lot of my life around mm -hmm. like and I'm sure for my mother, too, there's just so much uncertainty. You just don't know what it's going to hit. Even recently, like within the last four years, we did a family trip. We rented a beach house and my mother paid. You know, we had to redo the numbers because we had to give her her money back because she couldn't come because, you know, he had a flare up. I've gotten the experience of wondering, you know, feeling guilty for me being OK. I've gotten the experience of my mother has to give you more attention. And it cut it for me, what it created was a very independent girl. I feel like I already would have been this way because my mother was a single mother. So that would have happened anyway. Add on that the element of a lifelong illness. And my mother, this was before 
Clinton, I believe it was Clinton that created the Family Leave Act. Where like, I'm in Canada, mothers... so I have no idea. But oh, sorry. Okay, so <laughs> okay. in America, I believe it was Clinton. Like in the '90s, he created the Family Leave Act, which was, hey, moms, my mother has a sickly child. She's in the hospital every two weeks. So her job was like not having it at all. Right. It was very difficult for her. My mother actually had to quit. She had to become a stay-at-home mom. And my my stepfather supported us, but then, you know, they got uh, separated. And so then that's when she had to get on government assistance to help her because she literally was my brother's nurse. The way that he needed help, in my opinion, this is just me. I feel like he needed a um, daily nurse, but my mother became that for him because that's her baby. And so, yeah, you know, I'm like, mom, you, now that I'm an Adele, I look back and I'm like, you could have gotten help with insurance, like for that. You didn't have to make that sacrifice, but that was something that meant a lot to her. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for me, that became important because a lot of her time and her energy went into my brother. It made me feel like I couldn't ask for certain things. Like, how dare I? Like, how dare mm -hmm. I ask for certain things? I realized how much I bottled a lot emotionally because I'm having an emotional sickness right now. But you are having a physical sickness. You know, for me, I recently lost 60 pounds, but I thank you. I definitely know that my eating habits were definitely attached to, well, food is my friend. Mm -hmm. Food I can rely I can on. Control and, and it. I can control it. Yeah. And so me under and it, and it cares for me. Right. Me understanding that. And so, you know, it's been really beautiful to like break down these things as I step into my journey with motherhood. But I definitely will say it is a different perspective. Right. Um, on what does that, you know, leave for the child left behind, so to speak. And I want to be very clear. This is not me taking away from his experience and, or anything. Right. It's just just sharing a we can all have the same experience and look at the same painting, but see two different you know, things and it's okay and it's safe and two things can exist at once. But yeah, I would say those would be the major ones around how I interacted with my mother or sometimes the lack thereof. Even I would say how I interacted with him. I actually was really upset with him. Mm. I was really angry with him because, you know, for five years I'm living a certain life and then, you know, you come and I can't imagine how that might feel for him as well around Maybe him feeling like, you know, especially in the coaching work that we do, I have I have wanted to take on a better perspective of his experience. Right. And that, you know, he might feel like, well, I mess things up or whatever that might feel for him. Yeah. Burden. And, yeah. I can remember my college graduation when I went to college. I went to school three and a half hours away. And I remember my graduation dinner. Like I remember sobbing. Like literally, I remember having to put something in front of my face so that my family couldn't see me because my brother was speaking and he talked about how I left him. He talked about he couldn't go do the things that I would do, like go to sleepovers. And, you know, he actually went to his dad's once. So when it starts to affect you it, for whatever reason, I don't know what exactly it was, but it sometimes affects your breathing. He he's very light skinned. He turned blue. I remember it freaked my mom out. And so that because my parent, they were set, my stepfather and her was separated that caused her to not let him go over to his dad's house as much. And I can only imagine the effect on that for yeah. a boy. But his father also, in my opinion, he didn't want to take the time to learn the illness that his son had down to he needs these herbs. We can literally see on paper how less he goes into the hospital with these. And he didn't want to help pay for that. And it's like he didn't want to learn like, well, these are the things that you need to do. Or, OK, if he's having sick, he kind of I think what it was, was that he like didn't call my mom to tell her that Cajun was having mm want to say his name but that's his name that he didn't want to have um that he was having crisis 
So my mom could tell him, hey, this is a medication I want you to give him. And so he didn't do that. And he just kept like, it's one of those like he had never seen it because he didn't live in the house with us beyond like the first couple years of his life. And so it scared him a lot. And finally, he did have to call my mom and they had to admit him. We met him at the hospital. But I I know that that was scary. I remember one time playing in the playground and he fell off the jumping bars or something. And I remember him turning blue and I had to run home and tell my mommy like Cajun. So his dad didn't want to put that work in to like become aware. And so how would you say how would you say the whole experience um, impacted your career, whether it's corporate or Mm -hmm. now as an entrepreneur? Do you think it's given you anything or um, the way that you do things maybe? Yeah, it's given me some things I would like to give it back for sure. (laughs) So (laughs) that independence part of me definitely came into play in school it definitely you know very much like i have to figure things out on my own and you know i'm grateful for that but like that is not the experience i want for my daughter put it like that right like i want her to know you can rely on me and i know that i could rely on my family like i didn't have a horrible family there was always my family is very close there was always someone there so i'm not discounting that it's just that that's my mom right i want my mom to, to do those things and so um for me when it comes to corporate i wouldn't even say college corporate when it comes to being an entrepreneur, there was always this energy of, I have to make it, I have to figure it out, I can't be a burden, I can't ever go ask for help, so I have to do it. And so unfortunately, what I will say, this happens for a lot of my women who have certain issues similar or even have like money mindset stuff about single parent homes, things like that. We tend to be very independent and we don't ask for help. So when you think about it from a business standpoint, it took me years to really allow myself to use my team the way that I use my team now. It took me years of that work. Like I have an assistant from 2017. There are things now where it's like so different from back then. I had to grow and trusting her and using her. So I would say trust, knowing that I can rely on you. So definitely the independent piece for sure. I would also say from a relationship, I know you're asking me career, but just from a relationship standpoint, uh, trusting my partner, right? Trusting my partner and again, not trying to do so many things on my own. So I would say that independence part Mm -hmm. and not wanting to be a burden became really, really big. And I will say this too. I sometimes look at people like suck it up. (laughs) And what I mean by that is for me, when I look at like, okay, my brother was sick. And when I did have moments where I was sick, I had a cold or maybe I remember when I was younger, having a period and having cramps and feeling like, mommy, I don't want to go to school. And Keisha doesn't have to go to school. And he, you know, is sick or whatever, like wanting to understand, like, well, what about when I physically am sick? Sometimes I will still go, go, go because I'm like, I'm not as sick like him. Right. Right. Like he literally can't walk or, you know, right now there's certain things going on with with him as far as like his spine and um, things like that. And I'll just leave that there for his privacy. But it's just like. There, there are real issues, yeah. you know, there and you're just you just have cramps. So I, I think as I grew up, it became a cure. You just have like it like yours is just cramps. Mm-hmm. You just have them every month or like yours is just a bad cold or like I had a sinus infection in December and I did not want to go to the doctor because I have a thing with a doctor. And I was like, OK, this is not ending. I need to like go. And finally, we realized it's a sinus infection. You need antibiotics. There's that around like me just brushing stuff off like oh, I'll be OK or like working through being sick sometimes. Not as much now but before a lot more so there definitely is the independence the like not worrying oh it's your your sickness is okay it's it's nowhere close to this right here like yours isn't a big deal type of thing for sure what would you say this is completely off topic but it's a question now that we're coming up to the end is something that people either have a misconception about sales or something you would really want somebody to know when they're maybe a little bit scared of sales or sales is kind of like that ick word for them. Yeah. 
So I would just first, I don't, there's so many things I could say, but the very first place I would start is what is your complex with selling? And what I would say is, can you start by redefining sales? And what I mean by that is we have this preconceived notion of like selling. I'm selling my service, my program, my thing. I'm showing up and I want you to buy. Okay, cool. But if that doesn't vibe with you, why are you still holding on to that perspective? Let's find, let's leave that over there. Let's find a different perspective. And so really come into this space of how am I serving with this program offer thing that I'm you know, selling, right? And really just inviting you to a space of how is this the most beautiful invitation to a thing? If you think about it, when you were a little girl, right, or guy, right, you're going to pass out the little cards to, hey, I'm having a birthday party or like, I'm having a slumber party. You, you're selling your party. Hey, I want you to come to my party because of X reason. You weren't worried about like any of the slicky sales stuff until somebody made yeah. you feel a way about selling and then you realize selling is really bad. But if you think about it, no, when you were inviting someone to your childhood birthday party, you know, you had fun and you were giving out your invitation. So what if this was a beautiful invitation into a space that you know could help the person? So that would be one is, what about your perspective about sales? Could you shift? How could you redefine it? How could you come back to a place of this is the most beautiful invitation I could make this individual, right? The issue, and I'll just drop this note, the issue is sometimes we don't pre-qualify people to know, does this person actually need the thing? Mm -hmm. Because that's sometimes the issue is like the person doesn't need what it is that you're selling. So you're mad that they're saying no, but it's like they didn't actually need it or you didn't take the time to want to truly connect with that individual yeah. to understand where they are and what they're wanting to even know, well, what parts do you need to point out in the selling, the inviting of the thing? So I you're just where a lot of people get um, tripped up is they either they think of sales as like the dirty car salesman or they're yeah. getting sold by a dirty car salesman who like just has his own conception in mind. And I'm just like, we all know we, the, you know, the cartoon of the dirt, uh, the dirty car salesman. Yeah. I'm not saying anyone in particular, yeah. but um, I got pretty lucky. I got into sales. I mean, I was a hairstylist while I was in high school and already oh. had to sell um, hair product. But then I got into sales right after university in corporate and I didn't even really know sales and I just got sales training and climbed up the ladder. But to me, sales was always an art. It was beautiful. It was yeah. like relationship building. It was client like giving clients what they needed and knowing the background so that you could give them what they needed. And it was so interesting to me coming into entrepreneurship to see so many people that are so like they could be so successful and have such amazing products not being successful because they're scared to tell people about their stuff because yeah. they don't want to quote unquote sell. But like you said, when you change your mindset and you forget about the word sales, like it's yeah. inviting people into what you have because 90% of us who are listening to this podcast who are entrepreneurs probably are passion driven, purpose driven. Like there's a reason you're doing what you're doing. It's not just to like scam people. It's yeah. not like, you know, just random to make money. It's to help people as well, as well as to make money. So yeah. you're doing them a service as well as you're doing yourself a service. And that's where sales can become fun and relationship building and not like this icky tactic where there's, yeah. Yeah. That's and something that. that adds value to their exactly. life, right? So yeah, even the car salesman, they could be a dirty icky car salesman, but there's also some really awesome, beautiful car salesmen. Exactly, that can help you get the right car and the car, right size yep. and the right price. Like, yep. totally, I love it. Exactly. So, so you could you could pick which one you want to be and you exactly. can own that is the most exactly. important thing. Exactly, I love that. 
So we're coming up to the end. I'm going to roll the red carpet out for you. You can tell our listeners what you've got going on, any programs, where they can find you, any last thoughts. Yeah. So I would say check out my YouTube channel. So it's The Kiara Jones on YouTube. I actually... Okay, cool. This week's video actually was about selling. It is speaking specifically to women. And I actually go through a couple of natural traits that make us amazing at sales and beautiful at sales and all of the natural things about women, because that's what I often hear from women is like, we can't sell or I don't Mm. think I could sell confident. So there is a video on my YouTube about that. So check that out. But, you know, I do have a free sales uh, messaging workbook. It's kiarajones.com slash free messaging workbook. And that'll kind of break down my power message principles. And we talk more about, yes, sales, but sales is really just messaging. It's really Mm -hmm. you being able to communicate that value and convey it and connect with the right people. So definitely check check that out to kind of do an assessment on your messaging. There's a vision exercise for your messaging. And then I break down the point so that you can kind of get really clear on, oh, this is a strategy point I could add to my messaging. So those will be the first two places that I would recommend. And you'll find information from there about if you want to work with me or anything like that, it'll be all on there. I love it. Thank you so much for being on the show today. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much, Natalie. Awesome. Sending everybody love. Remember, dream big. It's possible for you. And your next version of success is around the corner.